must be a God somewhere. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. There we go, now I know you're here. Welcome everybody, that's my first order of business is to welcome you to the Rothko Chapel. We're so grateful for you to be here this afternoon. And your presence does remind us of a very important piece, which is that at a moment where it seems that we have a little bit too many monologues masquerading as dialogues, a little bit too much narcissism, a little bit too much pol polarism, that we have people here who stand as bulwarks against such facts and factors in our society. So your presence here reminds not only of us that are grateful and blessed to be here today, but the energy far beyond this place that there are possibilities yet to be imagined, but which are gonna be needed as we stand together in community. And what an occasion and a place to have such display of unity and commitment to work together. The birthday of a prophet is always worthy of celebration and observance, and in this case, the prophet, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You see, every year on January the 15th, which is actually his birth date, we do a program here at the Rothko Chapel. On this important day, we're not only, we not only remember the past and those who have gone before, but look to the future and we looked into the shoring up our individual and our collected fortitude to work together for justice and to recommit ourselves to that worthy cause. And this place. As the founders John and Dominique DiMinnell made clear in the development of the Rothko Chapel, central to the chapel's mission is a commitment to challenge imperialism wherever we may find it. Sexual imperialism, economic imperialism, racial imperialism, national imperialism, wherever it is, we were invited to challenge that factor in our life. And as we stand here between the chapel and the plaza with the broken obelisk dedicated to the Reverend Dr. King, we are also reminded and invited that um, this sculpture and this place is to be living and not a place to be dusted off periodically, but a place that would live in perpetuity uh, in the hearts, in the minds, the feet, and the action of the people of Houston and beyond. So it's an honor to be here tonight. As we celebrate this gathering and the Dr. King legacy, I want to thank a number of people who are here this evening. I want to introduce you to the speakers and people who will be sharing with us uh, this evening. And I'm going to do this in order of the program because they'll be following this way. First, it's my pri privilege to present to you the Reverend Dr. Uh, Marcus uh, Crosby, who is at Wheeler Baptist Church. The interesting thing about the senior pastor is his predecessor spoke here in 1971 when the uh, broken obelisk in the chapel was dedicated. So thank you for continuing that legacy. Uh, following him, we'll have uh, former long-term state senator, now new Houston uh, Harris County Commissioner, uh, Rodney Ellis. 
I see the Congresswoman just joined us, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Welcome. I know you all both have a lot of things going on this weekend, so thank you for being with us. Um, we're also very privileged to have with us Gary Tintero, who's the executive director at the um, Museum of Fine Arts Houston, um, who will share uh, what it meant to be at this place as a young person, but from very, very first person testimony. Thank you for being with us. Then we, uh, in addition to these notables, we're really honored to have today uh, poet Jackson Neal. We have poet Houston poet youth poet laureate number two, right? You're the second. Uh, very grateful to have Farina Arafine with us and Edwina Hubbard, who you've already heard, right? Uh, singing, uh, sharing your gifts, and I want to thank you for being with us and sharing the wonderful music today. And then I see he's somewhere in the crowd. Special welcome to Houston, Mr. Leonard Pitts Jr., who will be speaking this evening in the chapel. Thanks for taking the time to be with us tonight. Thank you. My last order of business is some um, thank yous because getting here today doesn't happen alone. Um, first of all, it's my privilege to thank um, the Manil Collection. I know Rebecca Rabinow, the executive director, is here. Uh, let's see where right ah, she moved over there in the back um, the Manila collection uh, handled the curatorial work the cost of the broken obelisk and then I also want to lift up part of their team Brad Epley and Carrie Dotson who are the conservators that did uh, really curatorial stewardship work uh, in making sure that the sculpture was moved off taken care of and brought back in one piece and better shape than it left. So give them a big round of applause. Thank you very much. I don't know if she's on right here. She was running around earlier. Allison Pruitt, uh, my colleague here at the Rothko Chapel. Allison um, is responsible for our operations and made sure that everything was done on time and done well. So thank you, Allison, for your hard work. There are also some institutional and some individual donors that contributed to particularly this part of our evening celebration, uh, the restoration of the artwork and then the pool and the pool system um, in which it stands above. And I want to lift up the Houston Endowment. I know Long Chu is here representing the endowment today, so thank you very much for your support. Um, not able to join us, Christopher Rothko and Lori Cohen, who also helped uh, support this. Um, we have Lynn Wyatt, Mimi Dietering, and our board member, uh, Michael Piana, who helped with this part of it. And then I also want to just give you a little teaser. Um, in addition to the work that we're doing here that you see some of the fruits of the labor, we also uh, have embarked on a big master plan development for the whole campus chapel, interior renovations. And as part of that, we're really pleased to have announced today that we received a $250,000 grant from the Andrew uh, W. Mellon Foundation for that part of work. To go along with funders uh, early on locally, which would include the McGovern Foundation, the Hammond Foundation, and other supporters that help make this happen. So like I said earlier, it does take a village to make this happen. So thank you all for all the work. And then I just wanted just one last note while we're here today and lift up in deep gratitude uh, John and Dominique DiManil because it's their vision of the world uh, that allowed this place to come into being. Uh, their faith, their commitment, 
their real deep commitment to be about life-affirming transformation in support of the commons and the greater good. Without visionaries like that, the world would be a little bit more impoverished place on a lot of levels. So we want to thank the Dean Manils and that living legacy that allows us to be here today. So with no further ado, thank you all for being here. I hope you'll be able to uh, stay for those that can for the program tonight. And with no further ado, it's really my deep pleasure to uh, welcome the Reverend Dr. Crosby here to the uh, podium for the invocation. Thank you, Director Leslie, and to our Congresswoman and our Commissioner and all who have gathered in this place for such a significant time of celebration and remembrance. As we commemorate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we're grateful for the opportunity that is presented to us to gather together as differing peoples, all under the banner of humanity, to share in the promotion of goodwill to all people. So won't you, where you are, bow with me, and let's pause for a moment of prayer. God of us all, how we're grateful for this privilege that has been afforded us to gather together here at the Rothko Chapel this evening. We're grateful that you have granted to us the benefit and blessing of another day and this evening opportunity that allows us to fellowship one with another, even as we share under the banner of your spirit. We are grateful for the cause that brings us together this evening, for the privilege to remember the one whom you sent among us to be servant and leader, to be liberator, to be a drum major for justice and a drum major for peace. Thank you for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for that day in 1929, January 15th, when you brought him into the world. And we thank you for the life that he lived, for the 39 years that you gave to him to make a difference in the world to ensure that the world was better when he left it than it was when he came into it. We thank you for his diligent labor. We thank you that he showed us that every person can be great because every person can serve. And we pray that we will embody the same spirit, the same attributes of Dr. King as we celebrate during this weekend, even until tomorrow. We ask, oh God, that each one of us will take more seriously our responsibility to make the world a better place to brighten up each and every corner where we find ourselves so that someone's life will be better because we came into it. We ask, oh God, that you will bless each of us who has gathered in this place today, and that as we share one with another, as we hear the testimonies of those who will speak to us, as we are blessed by the music that shall be sung in our presence, as we are brought into a spe special celebration by the one who will speak to us later this evening, will you allow all of it to nourish our spirits so that we will leave here emboldened to go forth and ensure that justice runs down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We are grateful for the privilege to celebrate in this Rothko Chapel space, and we thank you for this wonderful obelisk that has been returned to this place, and we do dedicate it afresh unto you in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And may all of our efforts bring glory to your name. And we pray this prayer with grateful hearts. Amen. Amen. I was um, in my junior year in high school in 1971 when this obelisk was first unveiled. 
I see Sissy Farenthold here in the audience and a Congresswoman I can remember very clearly, although I was only a junior in high school, keeping up with events of the day. If my memory serves me correct, Louis Welch would have been the mayor of Houston. The old timers, Frank Mancuso, Johnny McGowan, Larry McCaskill were on city council. Houston was not the beautiful artistic mecca then that it is now. To interpret that for you, we needed some art and we needed it badly. <laughs> and can you imagine a national endowment giving art to Houston and a, and a prominent entrepreneur, patron of the arts, the Damon Hills, deciding they put the other part up to get it for the city of Houston and then want to put it at City Hall and simply say it's in honor of Martin Luther King. Roll back to when Dr. King was here. Marcus Cosby, as he stated earlier, it was Bill Lawson, who was really our patron saint. I've heard Jesse Jackson say many times that Bill Lawson is the only minister in America that turned down Martin Luther King when he asked him to go national because he wanted his battle for civil rights to be right here in Houston, Texas, and we are all so thankful that he chose that. I've heard Reverend Lawson say many times when Dr. King came at the height of his popularity in America, had Aretha Franklin, Dale, Harry, Del Harry Belafonte, downtown to Coliseum, the place was virtually empty. The prominent ministers of the day were told, don't go, or there'll be a price to pay. By and large, a good aspect of the civil rights movement is a congresswoman knows she was in New York then, but really bypassed Houston. Other people fought that battle for us. And even when Dr. King came, he was not appreciated. Now roll forward to the day, sissy. On a rainy day in Houston, Texas, this many people would come to welcome this obelisk back to Houston, Texas. And my friends, we do that not so much because it is an outstanding and an iconic sculpture, and because this one is placed in the elements, so with a little humidity, you gotta get it repaired, as you know from time to time, when it's over, the, over water, the others are not. It's really, we're here today because we honor the life and legacy of Martin Luther King. But if we truly believe in what he lived for, and we truly want to honor his legacy in Houston, in Texas, of all places, we ought to be willing to admit that battle is far from over with. Can you imagine somebody nominated to be president of the United States of America in the middle of the night, Sheila, Congresswoman, making disparaging comments about John Lewis. What's wrong with politics in America, even at the highest position in the land, if someone would stoop to that level? And you and I ought to resent it, and we ought to be willing to speak out against it. Maybe enough of us didn't let our voices be heard when Dr. King was alive. Well, we ought to be willing to let our voices be heard now. In closing, I want to say with all of the challenges that we have in this country, I know the worst 
is not ahead of us. The day after the election, it's not a partisan comment, but you know, a lot of people were disappointed. My, my two daughters called up crying. Here two girls of privilege. One coming out of, came out of NYU, the other one two degrees from Columbia, and they're worried, wondering, what does this mean for me? You know what I said? Nicole and Mariah, you really have no right to be afraid. You have any idea what your ancestors went through to get here? People of different colors and different philosophies, the sacrifices they made to get you to where you are. So in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, in honor of the great Demonels and their legacy, their independent voice, you just remember, no matter how bad things may get, you and I have fought too hard. We come too far. We made it here and we've gotten too smart to let things go back to the way they used to be. Thank you and welcome home to our operation. Ms. Farenthal, would you join us in an empty seat over here? I can't keep looking at such honor and not have you. That Where the purse is, that's just sitting there. I'm a little shorter, but I pack a powerful punch. <laughs> but I want David to know that I'm calm and peaceful when I pack it. David Leslie, thank you for nurturing and spoiling our beautiful child, the Rothko Chapel, given birth by the Demonels. And I want to look at my friend because I come to the chapel on many occasions and she was not there. And now our friend has come home. Let's give it for the obelisk a very big hand of welcome. You can do better than that. I want to welcome Leonard Pitts, and I don't want him to see this folder and surmise that I have about three hours. It's only two and a half hours. <laughs> but I am infused with the goodness of the people who are here. I, I am so grateful that we are matching those who are gathering on this day all over the nation. It speaks to the goodness of America, and it speaks to the power of America. And I'm grateful that we have come to learn and to study what the chapel has been. This chapel has stood for those who protest wars, who felt harmed by the segregationist policies or hurt by the lack of opportunity. The chapel opened its doors. It welcomed the Jew, the Protestant, the Catholic, and those of many faiths. It welcomed those of color, the deep ebony, the brown, the yellow, the Asian, the Caucasian. It helped welcome those who came in the bottom of the belly of a slave boat or came on Pilgrim's Pride. And I guess I wanted to just leave you with the thought, I'm so glad that our commissioner has this infusing energy for his children, but people are hurting across America. We hear it every day in the United States Congress, they are frightened. 
And it'll take all of you that are gathered here who have the privilege of coming to a place like the Rothschild Chapel and to see our friend return home to be able to allow people to express their hurt, express it with a sense that there is hope. And so I read to you these words from Dr. King that I hope will put us in a mode of marching and overcoming. I refuse, he said, to accept the view that mankind, humankind, is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. You who are gathered here must have the unarmed truth and let it be the final word. But I add one other comment from Dr. King that will be my guideposts. And I will seek members of Congress in finding their way, finding their way to understand that people are in pain, frightened about losing the Affordable Care Act. We just came from hundreds of people who gathered downtown to tell their story of sickness, but then of wellness through God's grace, but having insurance to take care of them. Then comes these words that are even more powerful. There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he or she must take it because conscience tells him or her that it is right. This is what I want to leave you with. Because as we move into the peaceful transition of power, and we will do so, Commissioner Ellis mentioned my friend and colleague who I've come to be very close to, John Lewis is like a brother to me, who felt compelled in his own quiet, soft, passionate way. I've never heard John Lewis raise his voice or say an unkind word. He speaks from the heart. And so I'm asking those of you who are here as we go off and you see news coverage and you see Americans protesting and petitioning peacefully in the name of Dr. King. Would you be like the Demonels? Many of you come from corporate life. I don't know who's in what corporation, what day job you go to. And my fear is that corporations or media will be so frightened that they won't speak the truth, that they won't allow people who are hurting to petition and protest that they'll pull dollars away and resources away for historically black colleges and the NAACP and the Urban League and Congressional Black Caucus Foundation and Faith in Politics, which is a journey that many of us take every year to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge or places of worship where a pastor may choose to speak from the heart. The reality of us gathering today is not just a gather to honor his name in standing here, but is really to honor his name in acting here and to take his message for good and to do it with unarmed truth, with goodness and seeking what is right by our very consciences to make sure that those who do not want to do right will be led to the rightness and the righteousness of the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King. I'm grateful for the privilege and honor of being here today. And thank you, David, for all that you've done to coddle and protect our freedom to be able to be peaceful and nonviolent. God bless all of you. God bless the legacy of Dr. King. God bless the United States of America.
David, would you just come up? Tamisha, would you join me? Just to welcome home our friend. You notice I claim her. Your bliss. Uh, you all catch. Nobody was catching it. We won't read it, but we thank you for your annual celebration of the birthday on Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And uh, we look forward to the continuation of this place of peace. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate thank you very much. Thank you. Somebody's trying to get it. Hello everyone, my name is Jackson Neal. I'm a poet. Uh, I was on Metaphor Houston Slam Poetry team. Uh, we competed at the International Slam Poetry Festival in Washington, D.C. and I wrote this piece as a celebration of our differences. So here is my poem, Mulan. Mulan is irrefutably the coolest chick to bust through the Disney castle. This girl, this warrior, this earthquake and mountain of a woman shot tremors through the entire Han army. She stared Shun Yu in the face but did not quiver. In fact, she said square up before kicking him back over the Great Wall. Mulan has done more than Cinderella, Snow White, Belle, Ariel, Rapunzel, Aurora, Elsa, and all the other white princesses combined. Example, in 1938, Snow White sits by a newly dusted fireplace, cleans the plates from her evening of apple pie and sings, Someday my prince will come. Fast forward to 1998 and Mulan is scaling an oak flagpole, the golden symbol for strength and discipline in hand. She roars, let's get down to business. It rings like kung fu scream, her voice the brassy growl of a gong. You will not mistake it for a dinner bell or the click of glass slippers. Fa Mulan does not have time to dance or clean or sleep like the other princesses. The motif for Disney women of color is they are always working harder. Pocahontas rescued the Powhatan tribe. Tiana worked two jobs and started her own business. Frickin' Lilo negotiated intergalactic peace at only six years old. These are not fables, but rather a history. The age-old story of dark goddesses making light of the situation. Truly, it is them that are magic. Harriet Tubman parted the Red Sea and then left it open. Nina Simone sure as hell can put a spell on you. Malala Yousafzai is bulletproof. These women did not get wishes or incantations. They grit their teeth into a powder, then called it fairy dust. Rubbed their aching bodies till ribcage was the lamp of a genie. Their hearts a brilliant genesis of light and unstoppable. And some men will try to call this miracle witchcraft. They will try to bury it at the very bottom of the sea. During the Salem witch trials, women were thrown into water to test for sorcery. If they sunk and stayed, that meant they were human. If they floated back up, they must have been enchanted. The first woman to fly was a white girl named Amelia. She landed in the water, but we all know her name. Three black women says to moon and back and nobody found out till a movie was made. 47 years too late. This is proof that women of color do not wish upon stars. They discover them. They do not have the privilege of fairy godmothers. They are too busy being them. And there is never enough we can do to say thank you. When General Shang said to his army, I'll make a man out of you. What he should have said is I'll make a Mulan out of you. Because POC women are the ones who have always been making dreams come true.
That was fierce. And this is cruel. Good evening, I'm Gary Tintero, director of the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston. Thank you. <laughs> and, and like uh, many of you here today, I am who I am because I grew up in Houston, Texas. In 1971, Commissioner Ellis, when the chapel and broken obelisk were dedicated, I too was a student in high, uh, junior in high school, Bel Air High School a school that brought the question of students' freedom of written expression and personal appearance to the national courts. Civil rights and civic responsibilities were subjects hotly debated among my friends. On a parallel track, I was intensely interested in architecture, and I haunted construction sites and carefully parsed newspaper accounts for the latest information of things going on around town. For me, architecture wasn't an abstraction. It wasn't something that happened far away, something actual occurring in my own backyard. Naturally, I was keenly fascinated by the progress of this project to the point of making a cardboard model on my desk at home with a wobbly broken obelisk made of Bristol board and a hidden toothpick. I felt deeply connected to this chapel and to the sculpture. So much so that it served as an introduction to Mr. Newman's widow, Anna Lee, four years later in 1975, as I broached the subject of recreating Mr. Newman's plans for a synagogue on the campus of Brandeis University, where I then was a student. John and Dominic de Manil's commitment to social justice and to bringing superlative examples of contemporary art to Houston inspired me. It made me feel part of a world much larger than that which I had actually known. It resonated with my sensibilities as a high school student and helped to propel me into a life of curiosity about people and cultures different from my own and a commitment to education and public service. My own experiences here in the 1970s remain a touchstone of conviction and the value of my work today. I know that there are kids who wander here every day and I know that that experience can be the beginning of a life of wonder. It was for me. trouble the water wait in the water wait in the water children wait in the water God's gonna trouble the water so seek ye of his love make him first in everything you do if you just trust and never doubt what he says all good things will be added unto you 
faithful to the very end. When that judgment day has come, don't you want to be the one to behold his face and call him friend? So seek ye first the kingdom of his love. Make him first in everything you do. If you just trust and never doubt what he says, all good things will be added unto you. Wait in the waters, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm Farina Arafin. I'm Houston's second Youth Poet Laureate. Um, this is a position supported by writers in the schools, Houston Public Libraries, and the Mayor's Office. For this event, I have a poem written that is about the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's called The Minister. I would like to hold every letter of the word equal in my hands without broken fingers or missing pieces. We are still searching for the letters. When I trace the words onto my skin, I can't stop my hands from stuttering. In Atlanta, Georgia, E was found in a peach pit that would fall into your palms like a set of prayer beads. Georgia is the home of a, of a heartbeat that raised revolution. The year 1929 opened its eyes with a boy named Michael King, who would soon become Martin Luther. Rosa Parks clutched Q in her lap on a bus in Montgomery, and impressions of her fingertips still march along the letter where her hands wouldn't separate. See an occupied seat next to handcuffs. She'll give you an empty seat for a sacrificed year and tired legs. The letter U cut through clouds and found itself shining on the Washington Monument. Waves of sound move like an EKG collecting heartbeats. Over 200,000 hearts pumping faith to bodies taking the first step into a staircase they can't see. Say 1963 without I have a dream getting caught in your throat. Let it tear through your tissue and weigh heavy like a bullet moving into skull outside a motel. Sometimes I can see the letter A sitting on reflections of film photos. When I see a picture of the minister, I hear a choir in a sea of sound that's woven with what keeps the letters of the word justice together. I've been trying to swallow pieces of King's words to understand change and become part of progress. I will be a thread in the fabric that forms the final letter of his unfinished word. Thank you. If you'll join me. We shall overcome. We shall. 
business is the first order of business let's give great thanks to all the gifts that have been shared this last 45 minutes thank you all so much dr. Cosby I wanted you I want to especially thank you because so often amongst the celebrations all the things we do we also forget that poem too that it was the reverend doctor the reverend and that deep faith that it takes to be out there and i thank you for representing that legacy here today thank you very much dr Cosby, for being with us appreciate it i want to i want to finish with a with a quote that i came across uh just recently and this was written by time magazine art critic robert hughes in 1971 and he wrote the following about the broken obelisk he said barnett newman bypassed the western associations of pyramids and broken columns with death and produced a life-affirming image of transcendence this is it who would have thought somewhat 40 something years ago this is part of that transcendence I leave you with that. Please continue to enjoy hospitality, fellowship. The doors for those who will be able to stay this evening will open at 6.30, and Mr. Pitt's uh, address will begin at 7. So please, thank you for being here today.